welcome to Season 4 of Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am Catherine McPhail, your host. I'm an architect practicing in Eastern Massachusetts. In past seasons, we've covered all sorts of subjects with the intention of helping homeowners who may never have been involved in a renovation before and they felt like they needed to know what they were doing. We've built up over 100 episodes on everything from roofing to foundations, heard many renovation stories, and learned how to hire various professionals. This season, we'll be focusing even more on the challenges of renovating old houses while incorporating new technologies, using my own new house as a case study. We'll have all sorts of different guests, most having to do with what I'm just calling the next level of renovations. Now that you've got these 100 plus episodes under your belt, I think you're ready. This week and next, I am taking a break for the holidays and so am rerunning a couple of the most popular episodes of 2022. This episode, we'll get back to basics for a minute with Chris Novelli, who is an architect from Hopedale, Massachusetts. When I had him on in January, episode 86, Common Renovation Mistakes to Avoid. He was outlining the major points of his book, The Homeowner's Guide to Residential Design and Construction Projects, What to Expect and Plan For. When this episode came out, he had yet to publish the book, but now he has. I bought my copy from Amazon and he's also selling it on his website and I will link his information in the show notes so you can check that out. I do recommend that you get it if you are looking for some guidance. It's a good book and I think this is a good conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited to hear about your project that you've been working on. Yeah, so I've been um, working on writing a book to help homeowners through their residential design and construction projects. And this could be for both new construction or renovations. Yeah, that's awesome. I was thinking of doing one myself, then you're doing it. So I don't have to do it. So they can just go (laughs) look at your book instead. Yeah, they can just come and and look at mine. (laughs) Yeah, right. Do you feel comfortable kind of giving an overview of of the content? Yeah, sure. So first off, um, this book is sort of born out of the podcast that I host, the Home Design Academy, and mm-hmm. where I, uh, you know, similar to, to your podcast here, Talking Renovations, I, I'm working with homeowners and trying to help them to understand what to expect, give them tips along the way, and also try to ha- help them avoid mistakes. And mm-hmm. so as I was as I've been doing the podcast for, you know, uh, 18 months now or so, certain topics seem to keep coming up over and over again. And not a whole lot of people reach out to me, but the the few that do seem to have the same sort of questions. And then couple that with the work that I'm doing for my, my private clients. And, and I'm sure you experience this as well, where when you uh, start working with a new client, there's a whole onboarding procedure and these have the same sort of questions over and over again. And you see the same sort of mistakes over and over again. And I started thinking to myself, like, there's got to be a better way to, you know, help train these homeowners, uh, you know, early on in the project or even before the project starts on what to expect and what mistakes can be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, I mean, there are a certain number that are more common of the mistakes that people can make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is it a workbook or is it going to be like? No, it's it's like? it's more of a of a, a normal like reading book, um, not really a workbook that they can fill out along the way. But I guess maybe, you know, maybe in the future there could be something something like that, mm. uh, you know, in terms of site information and, and what they're planning for their house. I think that there could be some workbook aspects to it later on. Yeah, maybe I'll write the workbook because I was thinking. There you go. Yeah, I was thinking that like I would publish it as a binder, 
And then people can put stuff into the binder along in within the, you know, within yeah. the workbook. Yeah. You know, but who am I kidding? There's another thing I'm never going to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I, you know, it takes a lot of time. And of course we're both practicing and we both mm-hmm. have podcasts. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I've got a lot of ideas. So I'm happy that you are achieving it. Could you give maybe a few of the tips that you have in there? Like what are the most common mistakes that you see people make? Yeah, sure. Oh man, I could go on for hours about this. So uh, one big mistake, Let, let's sort of like start from the beginning of a project or like in the dreaming phase and then sort of work towards construction uh, drawings and construction administration. And like, okay. I'll give some mistakes along the way. In the dreaming phase, in the pre-planning phase, I think one of the big mistakes is people wait too long to hire an architect. And they end up with these preconceived notions on what their house should look like or how it should function, or maybe even they're buying land and they don't do a, a an in-depth study on what's possible to be built on that land. Or maybe they're putting an addition on their house and they're not doing an in-depth study on is an addition even allowed by zoning. And so right. I think waiting too long to hire an architect is a huge number one mistake. Mm-hmm. You think we're kind of biased in that way, though, because we're architects? Maybe a little bit. But, you yeah. know, we, we they can go to a builder uh, and maybe get some of the same information. But I don't think a builder is going to give uh, the same level of analysis, no, uh, especially in terms of zoning or especially in terms of designing how uh, people want to live rather than just saying, uh, here's a, a 4,000 square foot house with three bedrooms and two bathrooms. Yeah. I mean, I think I have come across, I'm going to say most of the people that I've worked with who have already in their mind decided what they're going to do because somebody, maybe a contractor has talked to them already or they just have this thing in their mind or some other architects they talked to who was like the cousin of their um, exactly. friend from college exactly, came yeah. over. <laughs> okay, that's probably true. So when when should they hire an architect when they're starting to think about? I think when they're when they're transitioning from the dreaming phase to the this is going to become real phase Mm. um and the dreaming phase could last several years or even decades for some people yeah and and that's what that's where i think you get the preconceived notions like you just mentioned like they'll come to you and they'll say and they already sort of have the the house worked out like oh i want i want this number of bedrooms and this number of bathrooms i want this and i want that and i want it to look like this because they've been dreaming about it for five ten maybe twenty years right the next big mistake that i see people making is taking on improvements before a major renovation or addition project. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you come across this as well, where I'll be working with a client and they'll say, or I'll be talking with a prospective client on the phone. They'll be like, oh yeah, I I replaced the roof two years ago, or Mm -hmm. I just replaced the siding on my house last year, or or, oh, this is one that I ran into recently. I was actually working on the design and working on the, uh, the drawings. And the client just out of nowhere said, oh, next week we're having all of our windows replaced. And I'm Mm. like, why not do that as part of the major project? Number one, you're going to get a better cost because you're Mm. you're buying in more bulk. But when it comes to things like roofing and windows and siding, Mm -hmm. what if you replace something and then five years later take on a renovation project and you can't match? Right. And then you have two different colored roof shingles and it just, you know, will look silly. So I think a huge, huge mistake is if you're dreaming of a major renovation project or dreaming about putting an addition on your house, wait to do those major uh, items of work. Wait until and and do it as one project. 
Yeah. I do come across people who've already done something and they need to keep that thing that they just did. They don't want to change that part of it because mm-hmm. they just did it. But had they done a master plan earlier, they might yeah. have come up with a better yeah. product in the end. Waited. Or or they replaced their windows and they went to Joe's vinyl window down the street. Yeah. And bought, yeah. you know, an energy star rated window that, you know, we all know is not not a good quality. Yep. And then you True. want to put in a high quality window as part of the renovation. And then you have to match these junky windows that were just put in. Yep. Yep. Sort of the next step that I see in the me- next mistake I see people making is proceeding with work or proceeding even with hiring an architect and getting going on the design without having a survey. Mm, and yeah, yeah. That's a big one. A big one. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you, you, they have their, they get their heart set on, on putting an addition on. And they'll, they'll contact an architect and they'll be working with us through the design. And then I say, where or you know, the early phase of the design some, and I'll bring up, do you have a survey? Oh no, we don't need a survey. We have plenty of, we have plenty of space, you know, to, to put an addition on like, well, it's not always the case. Here's a good example is I just worked on a, um, an addition project in Franklin, Massachusetts. And the, uh, lot was an average size lot that you would expect for, uh, you know, a a moderately dense area. Now, Franklin can be a little bit rural in places, but, you know, towards the downtown section, it it is a little bit denser. And that's where this house lot was located on. And when I went to look at the zoning ordinance, the setbacks were 40 feet all around. 40, 40 foot side yard, 40 foot front yard, 40 foot rear yard. This is only a 120 foot wide lot. So, oh, wow. I mean, already the existing house was non-conforming because the setbacks on the side yard hit the, the house. And so mm-hmm. where are you going to put an addition on that's yep. that's allowed by zoning? So we had to go to the ZBA and it was a little bit of a fight because the there's some members on the ZBA that didn't want to allow the homeowner to encroach into those side yard setbacks. Mm. And it had to be they had to actually look up the historic records of, of when they changed the ordinance. And it was proven that the house was constructed before the, a new ordinance was, was enacted and thus putting the house in an, into an existing non-conforming situation. And luckily there were some members on the ZBA who were um, sympathetic and allowed for this addition to be placed because, you know, you have to live in your house and you have to, you know, accommodate changing needs. Mm. And um, the the setbacks were a little bit outrageous, I think, for, for that dense of an area. Oh, yeah, definitely. It sounds like they just wanted all of the projects to go to review. I mean, that would force everybody to have to do that, right? Yeah, but the, the, the homeowner was proceeding at least before they contacted me. Of course, this is a homeowner that went to a builder first mm-hmm. and had everything, you know, quote unquote, worked out. And then they decided that they needed an architect. And that's when I was brought in. And when I asked about the survey, they're like, they had no clue what I was even talking about. And it's also good to point out that a little uh, plot plan that you get from a a mortgage closing is not an official survey. So anyone listening out there, you know, pay for a real land survey that shows your property lines, your topography, your utilities, et cetera. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also they don't check zoning like the zoning bylaw. I was really actually personally surprised to realize that in Waltham, for example, Waltham, Massachusetts, that they don't allow third floor like attic renovations with a dormer. Wow. 
Yeah. I mean, I never even heard of that. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. just don't, um, couldn't decide, I guess. So now they're just not allowed. So even I was kind of caught by that and I had to not charge for that portion of the work that I did in the, in the Mm -hmm. attic, because I didn't even think to ask, are you allowed to do this? Because yeah, you wouldn't even think because you're not expanding the footprint of the house or, or increasing Mm -hmm. the height. Right. Yeah. They just don't allow it anyway. Okay. So that's another, that's definitely doing the pre-design work is really important. Yeah. One of the next most important, uh, things that I, that often comes up or a big mistake that I see homeowners making is not understanding exactly how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you get this, but this, this time of year uh, that we're recording, this is, you know, just before Christmas, it's, we're getting into the holiday season. I think people are thinking about what they want to do next year, thinking about a project. And my phone's been ringing off the hook with people uh, looking to do addition projects in 2022. And they're all thinking that they can start building in the spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and you have to kind of educate them a little bit like, hey, even, uh, you know, I can go as fast as um, most of my clients uh, can make decisions, I guess is the best way to put that. A, a lot mm-hmm. of times it's the client decisions and sort of the meetings going back and forth that that take the longest time. But even my fastest clients that can make decisions right away, it still will take four to six months just to get through the design and construction drawing phase. I mean, it just takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, finding a contractor these days, that's not booked up solid. I mean, these contractors are not just sitting around waiting for waiting for you to call uh, to say, can you come and work on my house? They're just not. So if any homeowner thinks that they're going to call up a contractor and they're going to be able to start next week, I mean, this isn't fast food delivery. Uh, no, you know, I know. It, it often takes a long time to get a contractor on board. Definitely. This has been, I mean, as we all know, it's been a very, um, it's been a turbulent couple of, well, like 20 months, I guess. And so people are really booked up. Yep. Yep. So just continuing along here, one of the, another mistake well it this one might not be a mistake it all depends on on a person a person's you know uh preferences and that's deferring decisions and so mm-hmm. there's a couple ways you can go about uh, uh you know selecting materials and selecting finishes you can do it all up front working with your architect or interior designer or you can say i want uh, you know, you can you can be more general about it and say, I want ceramic tile here and wood flooring here and then defer those decisions to, until uh, the project's under construction. Mm-hmm. There's pros and cons, I think, to each method. Um, the pro for making the uh, decisions up front is you sort of know exactly what you're going to get. And I think everything can be coordinated a little bit better. Um Obviously, the con about that is you have to. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, and it's almost impossible to make them all mm-hmm. uh, in one sitting, really. But the point, though, is there are a lot of decisions that a homeowner has to make, and any decision that a homeowner doesn't make, the contractor is going to make that decision for you. So, it, you know, whether it's a wall assembly or the type of siding, you know, if like let's say you just say, okay, I know I want vinyl siding but I don't specify the brand or the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Well, then the contractor's going to pick the cheapest one, right? And you're going to get yeah. stuck with whatever they give you. That's very true. 
That's true. And it's also pretty stressful, I find, um, when people find out they need to know what the tile is or have it on site in a week. So then that really ends up limiting their choices and just creates a lot of, um, I don't know, like a kind of a panicky sort of feeling. It does, yeah. And and making decisions when you're feeling panicked and rushed is uh, never a good thing. Right. Yeah. Another another mistake I I see people making, and I say this all the time to all my clients, is spending too much money on the fancy finishes and not enough money on their building envelope or energy efficiency. Hmm. Um, spending the money to build your envelope, which is the, you know, the exterior walls and roof, the sort of the blanket that wraps your your house in um, and keeps the heat uh, out, heat in and the cold air in in the in the winter or in the summer. Spending the money to build correctly, I think, is more important than. Uh, what material your countertop is made out of. Mm-hmm. That's that's just my personal opinion, and I try to say, say that to almost all my clients. And the way I see it is you're only going to get one chance to make it right when you build the, the your house or you put an addition on. You can change out your countertops anytime, right? You can change out your countertops next year or five years down the road. And I know the fancy mach- the fancy finishes are what everyone expects and they and they want to show it off right they want to show off their newly renovated house or their newly constructed house to their family and friends and uh you know the insulation that's in the walls isn't really the most appealing thing to look at obviously cuz you can't even see it but you know with just i think with just spending a little bit more on your building envelope you can drastically decrease the operating cost in terms of heating and cooling expenses. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is very true. Yeah. And you are also right. And that is not, it's not the easiest thing to show off to your friends because yeah. you know they can't see it. I mean, maybe, maybe we should start showing off our, our electric bill to our friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I might, I don't even have an idea of how much people pay for electricity. Cause I like my electricity bill this month is $250. Yeah. Is that a lot? Um, my electric bill in the summer gets up to the $600 range. Oh, wow. Really? Because of air conditioning. Because of air conditioning, yeah. And uh, in the winter, now? it drops way down. But then I, I, I have oil heat. So then I'm in, taking the money that I was spending on electric electricity, and now I'm spending it on, on oil. Okay. I, I just still don't have any idea if 250 is a lot. I think that's a, probably a good middle, middle range. Hmm. Okay. Well, it is what it is, I I guess. I think you're doing well there. Yeah. Yeah. I have the space heater in my office, so that doesn't help anything. Yeah, definitely not. No. One of the next uh, mistakes I see people making all the time is thinking that the lowest cost from a general contractor, if they're getting multiple bids, thinking that lowest cost is the best cost. Yeah. I mean, you're not shopping for a new TV here. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I want to buy this Panasonic TV and I'm going to go to Target and Best Buy and Walmart and I'm going to pick the lowest cost because it's the same TV at each store. Not even close when it, terms, when it, when it comes to construction right. and it comes to the, the quality um, and the craftsmanship that, that a contractor can bring. So mm-hmm. I think you need to pick, number one, pick someone who's going to do the best work possible. And number two, pick someone who that you can work with and get along with because that's that's a huge part of it. It definitely, it definitely is getting, getting along with the contractor. It's going to be a long relationship and a long, it is a long, somewhat stressful relationship. Yeah. And there's going to be issues along the way. Nothing is ever perfect. Nope. 
Yep, there are going to be issues. So yeah, somebody, I always uh, suggest that they think about when times are bad, what's it going to be like interacting with this person? Yeah, yeah. And even even the whole bidding process, uh, I think, you know, uh, the residential market for uh, construction, I think, is moving more towards the integrated approach where the contractors brought in as a member of the team earlier on. Mm-hmm. And I really like that method because the contractor can then uh, have input in at the schematic design level and they get a little ownership there and they know what to expect and... You know, you might not get the lowest price that way, right? Because they're not bidding against someone else. But having them be part of the team, I think it will just make for a smoother construction. I agree. I did try to make some one contractor do that. And he was definitely not interested in his response was usually, that's why you have an architect. So that didn't work out that well. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm try- I try to find, uh, and it, it's tough, like you like you just mentioned, but I'm trying to to build up my... Uh, my network of contractors who like to work that way. Yeah, me too. Because that's the only way to really, um, I think choosing the person that you want to work with and then working out the project with that person makes sense. That makes the most sense to me. Yeah. And and along along the lines of talking about a contractor, I think trusting referrals that you get from your friends and family, mm-hmm. um, you need to take those referrals with a grain of salt, right? Because, you know, if you, let's say your neighbor puts an addition on their house. And they spend $200,000 and they have you over and they show, they're showing off their new addition their newly re- renovated uh, kitchen or something like that. And their new uh, living room that they put on, or maybe they added a bedroom and you start talking about, Oh, I want to do this as well. It's something similar. And they say, Oh, you got to call this contractor. He was so if, if you spend that much money, you're not gonna unless something went really wrong. You're not gonna admit that a contractor was wasn't the best, and and maybe some homeowners don't even know the difference between a great contractor and a good contractor, mm. or a good contractor and a bad contractor. So, uh, it's while it's always good to have referrals, I think that uh, most referrals are a little bit blind in saying that you know it was a great experience. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that angle before, Chris. Yeah, it's well, it, it came up. It came up on a project where it was a it was a it was a small project, um, small renovation addition. And I had recommended one of the contractors that I had worked on and they got a price from from them. But they also wanted to get a price from the contractor that did their neighbor's renovation. And the neighbor's uh, contractor actually came in with a slightly higher price than than the contractor that I recommended. And so they went with the the higher priced neighbor referral because it was their neighbor that was referring them mm. and it ended up being not that great of a project. I mean, it was okay, but the craftsmanship could have been a lot better. Uh, and I know that the, the contractor that I recommended would have done a lot better job. And mm. so they paid more and got less quality. So oh, that's you don't always trust. Refer- so ever since that day, I, I always tell people don't, don't fully trust referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they come from a professional who has actually worked with another professional because then okay. you know the difference. Yep. Good advice. And then um, let's continue on uh, to, since we're talking about construction now um, and getting into construction and administration, I think a huge mistake that people make is trying to uh, uh, not include an architect in construction administration. 
mm-hmm. and not have them involved in the process. Right. Yes, and, that actually really is. And and yeah. I know that we're both biased in that, but it really doesn't turn out the way we intend it to if we're not there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and not just that, when there's disputes, mm-hmm. I don't know if people know this, but the architect is an advocate for the, the, the homeowner and for right. their client. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to take it, I like to spin that a little bit, but, and say that I'm an advocate for the building because some, mm-hmm. sometimes the homeowner's wrong, right? And yeah. the contractor's right. It's not, all, it's not always the contractor's wrong, uh, and true, the homeowner's true. right. So yeah. the customer is not always right in, in, in this, in this situation. But what I like to say is we don't have any financial stake in, in what decisions made, right? If let's say you're talking about the type of insulation that's going to be used and the homeowner wants to use spray foam insulation the contractor wants to use blown in cellulose and they're having an argument back and forth. Well, you know, there's pros and cons to using each and, but maybe, you know, maybe the, the homeowner has a child that's very allergic to, to certain things. And we all know that spray foam off gases and it could, there could be some health concerns there. So, you know, in that case, I might recommend, Hey, you should listen to your contractor and use the cellulose insulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have nothing to gain for, you know, whether they use one product or another product, I don't have any financial stake in, in the game. So. Yeah. I think when you know when it comes to disputes, having that third party um, as your architect, as your advocate, is is incredibly valuable. Right, and I also find that when I am involved, there are a number of occasions where various things come up, and we need to come up with an alternative way mm-hmm. of doing something. And so, I help work that out with the contractor, also with the contractor, and then go to the homeowner and say, "Here are our choices," so that they don't have to be involved with the hand wringing part of it. They can just be involved with the solution. So. Yeah, and that happens on every single project too, right? Yep. Yeah, e- the, even the even the simplest projects, there's always going to be things that come up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. having someone that can speak the language and and work with the contractors is highly valuable for any homeowner. Yes. Yes, so, and yet they hardly, not hardly ever, but very frequently, I'm not involved with the construction administration. Yeah, correct. So, same thing. Same thing here. I don't actually. I actually don't even get involved in projects unless I'm involved in the construction. I'll, yeah. I'll tell them to go go somewhere else. Yep. I think that I'm going to do that too going forward. Yeah. But sometimes you get there and then they, the contractor will say, you don't need the architect at this point. You just. Yeah. That, that happens a lot. And yeah, you know, and, and that's sort of that old school mentality where, where, you know, it's, 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 uh, there's, there's, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say here, but it's, uh, you know, uh, combative in, in yeah. a certain way. Yeah, there's like an adversarial relationship between Adversary. the builder yeah, and, the, and the architect. And there doesn't need to be at all. I mean, like you were saying, it's a team or we're a team that we're trying to get this done. Mm-hmm. What's best for the building and what's best for the client. Yeah. Both of us, both the contractor and us, we're trying to make their dreams come true. That's the way I look at it. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then I think... To, to sort of round up the, the construction phase, the huge mistake is paying a contractor in full before a project is completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you just hear horror stories about homeowners that get sucked into paying a contractor's bill in full, and then the contractor just walks away and leaves mm-hmm. you with an unfinished project. I'd like to think that most contractors out there are would never do that, and certainly I have never worked with anyone that, that has done that, but you hear stories. You do, and and that's why you gotta you can never pay in full until it's actually completed. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. I mean, especially if things are going not well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. If there's been disputes and arguments along the way, you know, definitely don't pay that bill until until everything is 100% complete. Yeah, that is a good tip. So, yeah. I mean, the book is phased in, um, it follows the, the stages of a construction project, right? So you start with the dreaming phase and then you move into what you need to know to get started. Um, the decisions and the things that you th- should be thinking about in the pre-design phase, and then it moves into schematic design and construction drawings, and then working with a contractor and construction all the way through pro- project closeout and post occupancy. And like, you know, what you should be looking at six months after you move in and one year after you move in and stuff like that. So hmm. th- throughout each of these chapters, there's, you know, I sort of give a, a rundown of what to expect I give a, a a few stories here and there, uh, some that I just shared uh, about, you know, what some mistakes that my clients have made and then, you know, give some advice on, on the, the things that you should be thinking about during each of those stages. That sounds like a great resource. The the sort of working title, which, you know, it's it's going to be released very soon here, so I got to make a final decision. But the working title is just uh, your guide to residential design and construction. Uh, mm-hmm. With a subtitle of what to expect and plan for an in-depth understanding of each phase of designing and constructing your custom home. When, when is your book coming out? That's the big question. Um, sometime in January of 2022, maybe February at the absolute latest. Okay. There'll be two ways to buy the book. You can either, one, you can download it directly as a PDF from my website. Or two, you'll be able to order a copy from Amazon. Okay, so what's your website? The website is n3architecture.com. If the book is not released be, uh, by the time that this podcast comes out, you can go to the uh, the resources tab on my website. So that's n3architecture.com slash resources. And uh, there's a guide there, five tips to getting started uh, on your project. Sign up for that guide. It's an instant download. Uh, you'll get the PDF email to you. And then... Once you sign up for that, you will get uh, notifications on to when the book will be released. Okay. As well as other great tips that will come in uh, on a regular basis. Great. And why don't you say a couple things about your two podcasts? Yeah. So uh, the Home Design Academy is the is the podcast that I have that's directed towards uh, homeowners. And it, it talks about all the stuff that we've been talking about here today and all the stuff that's going to be covered in the book. And it's all about, you know, better ways to build, mistakes that people make. And then I also try to interview some uh, product manufacturer representatives as well, uh, especially if there's new products that come out and mm-hmm. that, that I think will be, will be a benefit. Uh, I try to get those people on the show as well. Okay. And then the second podcast is called Empty Lots, and that's more about urban design and urban planning. Yeah. That's a very interesting one too. Yeah, if anyone's interested in urban planning, but um, the the empty lots podcast is not urban planning as like large scale. It, it's more focused on small to mid sized cities and small towns and mm-hmm. what what a small town could do or what a small city could do. Well, I love that subject too. So, well, thanks for being on, Chris. Thank you, Catherine. It's been great. Good advice. A lot of good advice yep. here. Thank you for listening, and thank you so much for sharing this show with your friends. It is growing all the time, and I really appreciate that. I would love to hear from you if you have anything to say about this episode or past episodes, good or bad, or a suggestion for a new episode. 
send me an email at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven is a proud member of Gable Media, the most engaged AEC network on the planet. Check out my other show and all the rest of the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. And until next time, take it easy.